0: morning, Genesis chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. I would encourage you also to get your bulletins out. We're going to be walking through the life of Noah. It's certainly a joy to be able to open God's Word, and I know I mention this often, but have heard recently of many places around the world where churches have been burned or bombed for doing this, and Christians have lost their lives this week for doing this and there have been Christians tortured this week for doing this. So may we never take for granted the freedoms that we enjoy to gather together, to sing, to pray, to read God's Word, and then to respond to God's Word. One of the great ways of studying the Bible is to look at specific characters in the Bible and examine their characteristics, both good and bad, and then apply those principles to our lives. And one of the things that I think helps us build trust in Scripture is the fact that whenever it's presenting a biblical character, showing us these great giants of the faith, that it doesn't just show us the good things, right? I mean, we go through and we see the failures of David, and we see the denial of Peter, and we see the the hypocrisy and the doubting in Thomas. And even when we come to some of the Old Testament characters, Abraham, Moses, Noah, it doesn't just present us the positive things from their lives. We see the good and the bad, which kind of shows us that the, the authors of Scripture were just presenting a trustworthy case for who this Bible ultimately is about and who it ultimately points to the person of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want us to look at the life of Noah. We're familiar with the story of Noah, we're familiar, familiar with some of the events in the life of Noah. But I want us to look at several positive characteristics from his life, and here's why I want to do this. One, Noah shows us a picture of commitment. From the life of Noah, we see an individual who, although not perfect, was committed we see in the life of Noah characteristics that if our lives are going to matter, if our lives are going to make a difference, if our churches are going to make a difference across our country, they need to be filled with people who have the characteristics that we're going to talk about this morning, characteristics that sometimes are overlooked, characteristics that are sometimes minimized, but characteristics that are crucial, crucial if we are going to live lives as believers that God Can use, And so I want us to notice several things from the life of Noah about what this commitment looks like. But before we actually look at the life of Noah, I want us to understand the backdrop. We're in Genesis chapter 6, and Pastor Jason a few moments ago read to us some of these verses. But I want you to notice verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6. Here's what it says. I want you to picture this as I read it. When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme in his mind thought of was nothing, excuse me, back up, was widespread on the earth and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time. Pause right there. Imagine a culture, a society, an environment where this is the overwhelming characteristic with the exception of one family. Where the characteristic of the culture, the characteristic of the people on the earth at this time is that when God saw it, he sees man's wickedness was widespread. So it wasn't just a small pocket here or a small pocket there. The wickedness of mankind was widespread on the earth and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time. Imagine that. I mean, this is not just an isolated case of wickedness or an isolated display of evil. This was the characteristic of humanity, that when God looked at the earth, he looks over not just one country, not just one area, but he looks over the earth. Everywhere he looks, he sees that the thoughts of mankind are evil all the time, that wickedness is widespread. This is the culture in which Noah lives. In fact, it may be the culture we find ourselves in. Even though I don't know that it's quite as widespread as it was here in Genesis 6, this does characterize our society, right? Where wickedness is rampant, where evil is widespread, to where so much of what we see taking place that characterizes culture and society on this earth is characterized the way we see in verse 6, with the wickedness of man being widespread. You cannot read this verse, though, and hold to deism. You say, what is deism? Deism is the idea that God created everything, but then after he created it, he withdrew from it and is really unconnected and unconcerned with what happens with humanity. Deism is the belief that there is a God, that God did create everything, but that he's no longer interested in his creation, that he does not intervene, that he is not personal, that he is not a relational God, that he is nothing more than a creator, but he does not care what takes place on earth. You, read Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, you see that God does care. You see that even more in verse 6. Notice verse 6 of Genesis 6. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. How bad do things have to be for God to look at the humanity and the world that he spoke into existence with the power of his word and look at that and say, I'm grieved in my heart, and I regret that I created mankind. God does care. God looked on his world in Genesis chapter 6 and he sees the wickedness and he sees the evil and he sees the sin that is taking place and he is not just a God that spoke everything into existence and then does no longer care. He is a God who looks at his creation, knows what's taking place within his creation and if it is contrary to his heart it grieves him. Which should be a reminder to you and I this morning that God looks in the world in which we live today. And He looks in your heart today. The question then is what is the response of God? Does he look in the world today and is is he grieved with what he sees? Does he look inside your home today and is he grieved with what he sees? Does he examine your heart today and is he grieved? God is not just a creator. God is personal. God is relational. God knows what is happening and he cares. He cares about what happens in your life. He cares about what's happening in this church. He cares about what's happening in the world that he created. God created it. God is involved with it. And God cares about it. There's one individual who stands out in stark contrast from this wicked world that we see described. Notice verse 8. Noah, however, found favor in the sight of the Lord. Noah found favor. Noah was the exception. Noah was the person living in the midst of all of this that we just read about in verse 5 and verse 6 who found favor with God. He was different. He was the one that was set kind of as the example for the rest of us. And the question I had as I was reading this and studying this is, what made Noah different? I mean, Why in the midst of a decaying culture, why in the midst of a wicked and declining society is Noah heralded, is Noah lifted up and said, he was the exception. He was the one who found favor with God. We, we know that it wasn't that he earned God's grace. I mean, grace by its mere definition is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. He, he didn't earn it. He wasn't perfect, as we'll see in a few moments. What was it that made him different? I would suggest to you this morning that it is in what made Noah different that we can learn a great deal about characteristics that should be in our lives, and this is where I want to pick up on your outline. I want you to notice seven things about the life of Noah, seven characteristics in the life of Noah that we should strive to have in our lives. Here's number one. He was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. Notice verse nine, Genesis chapter six, verse nine. These were the family records of Noah. Notice this next phrase. Noah was a righteous man. Skip down to chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. Think about what kind of life you would have to live for God to look at you and say, You are righteous, innocent, just, The term literally means, the term righteous literally means that Noah conformed to a standard. It indicates that a choice was made, and he certainly had choices. He lived in a world where there were certainly people saying, this is how you live, and this is how you think, and this is how you react, and this is how you operate. And he looked at the world, but he knew there was another option. It wasn't just the option that the world was presenting. He also knew that God presented a standard. The world presented a standard, but God presented a standard. And it was Noah who made the intentional decision to pursue the standard of God. He made a choice to turn away from wickedness and pursue righteousness. The wickedness surrounded Noah it was the characteristic of the culture it was characteristic of the society everywhere noah looked this he saw the wickedness he saw the depravity he saw the sinfulness he understood this is an option everyone else is going down this path but he made the choice he decided that instead of following the world standard he would follow god's standard Understand something this morning. Listen carefully. You will never accidentally drift towards righteousness. You will never accidentally drift towards holiness. You will not wake up one morning and accidentally drift towards morality. It must Be a decision that you intentionally and deliberately make that says, I understand the options that are out there, but instead of pursuing what the world says is acceptable, I will pursue God's standard of righteousness. And listen, if you fail to deliberately and intentionally pursue the righteousness of God, then what will happen in your heart, what will happen in your life, is you will gradually and slowly drift towards unrighteousness. You will never drift to godliness you will never accidentally become more holy. You will not accidentally trip up one day and stumble into righteousness. It has to be a deliberate, knowledge-driven, God-pleasing decision that says, I will pursue righteousness and purity and holiness and morality in my lives. Noah was standing in the midst of a culture where it would have been perfectly acceptable and pleasing to everyone else for him to do what everybody else was doing. But he said, no, that is not an option. I must pursue God and I must pursue His standard of righteousness. And the reason why He was declared or the reason why it says that He was righteous is because He made a deliberate decision to pursue that righteousness. Have you? Have you? Or are you going through life expecting to just, you know what, if I go to church a little and I do this a little and I have a Bible, maybe I'll just drift towards righteousness. No, it has never happened and it never will happen. The only way you can become more righteous is this morning to say, I will pursue righteousness. And if you don't pursue righteousness, then you are automatically making the choice to drift away from righteousness. The reason Noah was able to please God is because he was willing to make the decision to conform to God's standard. Number two, he was blameless. Verse 9 again, there's a lot in verse 9. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Notice this next phrase, blameless among his contemporaries. Blameless does not mean perfect. But it means that he pursued morality. His life was generally characterized as clean and pure. And we learn through the rest of the book of Genesis that Noah was in no way perfect. And he made plenty of mistakes. But this was the goal of his life. He pursued morality. He was, according to his contemporaries, blameless. This phrase you see there, blameless among his contemporaries, is drawing a stark contrast. There's really no other way to, to say this. When you looked at Noah and you looked at the rest of the people and the rest of culture and the rest of society, Noah was different. There was something different about Noah that was apparent to where he stood out from the culture and he stood out from the world in which he lived. He, he was not just going with the flow. And in our lives, far too often, we like extremes. On one hand, we, we, we like this extreme sometimes it says, I want to be relevant to the culture, and so I want to be as much like the culture as I can, but in reality, what we are doing is we're, as a song says, we're hiding behind our relevance, blending in so much that people can't see the difference that Christ has designed our lives to make, and so we're, we're, we're in this relevant stage, but yet there's our lives really aren't different, they're not distinct, it's not salt, it's not light, but The other extreme on the other side is that we go all the way over here and we strive so hard to be different that we end up adding to God's Word and we end up adding rules and restrictions and regulations and we create a legalistic life and both are extremes that are straying from what God's Word teaches See, the reality is that when we pursue righteousness, when you make the decision to stop drifting away and pursue actively and aggressively the righteousness of God, there will be things in your life that are different. Your priorities will be different. Your attitudes will be different. And what you value will be different. And how you talk will be different. And what you do in your free time will be different. And it's not an extra biblical man-made list of things you're doing. It's just that you're pursuing the righteousness of God. People looked at Noah and they said, he's different. There's something about him. His, his, his standard of morality is different. It wasn't a standard that he came up with. He's following God. His priorities are different. It wasn't something he came up with. He's following God. See, when you follow God and when I follow God, our lives are different From the world in which we live, Noah wasn't just going through the motions of righteousness. He wasn't just going through the motions of Christianity. The reason Noah was different was because he made a decision to pursue God. And we see that very clearly here in this next point. Number three, he walked with God. He walked with God. This is crucial. Please do not miss this. Notice verse 9 again. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man blameless among his contemporaries. Notice this last phrase, underline it. Noah walked with God. And I almost think this last phrase of verse 9 is what made the previous two points possible. How was it that he was righteous? How was it that he was blameless among his contemporaries? The answer, he walked with God. His righteousness, his integrity were the result that he made the decision to walk with God. And along with his decision to walk with God, it, it led to this life that was righteous and blameless. The reason he was righteous was because he spent time with God. Listen, you will never pursue the righteousness of God while ignoring the person of God. You can't grow in Christ's likeness while, re- while ignoring Christ. He walked with God. And the reason he was able to live this distinct, impactful life to where God looked at him and says, I find favor in you is directly connected to the fact that he spent time with God. You want your life to increase in righteousness, you want your life to be growing in morality and in purity. The way your life does that, the way you make a deliberate decision to pursue the righteousness of God, is by also making the decision to walk with God, to spend time with God. One of the flaws of our American Christianity, in my opinion, is that we have been tricked somehow into thinking... That as long as I go to church, it doesn't matter what I do the rest of the week. I can ignore God the rest of the week. And if I go to church on Sunday, then I'm going to become righteous. I'm I'm going to be this, have this life that God wanted me to live. And let me say that is not at all the case. Perhaps we need to change our perception of this a little bit. How many of you think you could live only on a multivitamin? Nothing else. It's the daily diet, right? It's the daily eating right, feeding yourself. When it comes to Christianity, comes to a relationship with God. Far too often, we come on Sunday for a multivitamin, and we think we're healthy. It requires daily walking with God, making a decision daily to to feed ourselves with the truth of God's word. And are multivitamins helpful? Absolutely. And I would say that God has designed the Christian life where we need the corporate gathering and we need the worship and we need the fellowship. In fact, I would go as far as to say if you neglect the corporate worship gathering and you neglect church, that you are going to struggle spiritually greatly. But don't think that you can just come on Sunday and ignore your spiritual life the rest of the week and everything's going to be okay. It won't. Feed yourself. Walk with God daily. That is the key to the righteous life. In fact, the emphasis here, the way this is worded, it literally lead, reads, With God, Noah did walk. And it's worded that way very specifically to emphasize God. Do you walk with God? You don't have to raise your hands or anything like that. Just take a second. Think. Would it be an honest statement for you to say, I Walk with God? The answer is no. The righteousness, the morality, the purity, the holiness, the impact, the evangelistic impact that your life is designed to have will never be fully realized. Until you make changes in your life, and I make changes in my life to where we can honestly say, I walk with God. That's the key. That's the key to the Christian life. I mean, I don't want to keep just hammering this same point, but it's the key. Deacons, do you walk with God? Sunday school teachers, do you walk with God? Those of you who are involved in ministry in this church, do you walk with God? I mean, if you want your lives to have power, you must walk with God. You want your ministry to have power, it must, you must walk with God. You want your class to be effective, you must walk with God. You want your leadership to be realized and make an impact for God, you must walk with God. That is the key. And when you reject walking with God, you're saying, God, I don't need you. I can do it in my own strength. And you can't. I can't. We can't. You must walk with God. That leads to our fourth truth this morning, the fourth characteristic that we see from the life of Noah is that he obeyed God. See, when you walk with God, you're going to be a lot more willing to obey God. This is interesting. You know the story, how God, really in verse 11, begins telling Noah How to build the ark. You see in verse 13, then God said to Noah, I've decided to put an end to every creature for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them among the earth. And verse 14, he starts giving him the instructions of how to build the ark. Make the ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. And you can read down through there. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. all All these specifications. But I love verse 22. Skip all the way down to verse 22. Do not miss this. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded. Isn't that an amazing verse? It doesn't just say, and Noah did this. I mean, that would be impressive on its own, but you got to keep reading. He did everything that God had commanded him. And I want you to understand this, how weird this was. Noah's building an ark in a desert away from any body of water. Had it rained yet, he had never seen rain. So God says, I'm going to open up the heavens, and rain is going to pour down. Water is going to pour down from heaven, and there will be a flood. And Noah's like, what? A flood? Rain? What is this? And God helps him understand what's going to happen. So in the middle of this desert, he starts building a boat. And what was everybody else doing while he's building this boat? Laughing and mocking and ridiculing and pointing their fingers at him. And Noah says, you know what? My obedience to God is not based on my own understanding. My obedience to God is not contingent upon what other people around me think. Noah says, my obedience to God is rooted solely in doing what God wants me to do. True obedience ignores consequences. True obedience ignores the opinions of others. True obedience ignores fear. True obedience simply focuses on God and says, God, I will not lean on my own understanding, but I will trust in you. That is what obedience is. Obedience looks and says, it doesn't matter if it makes sense. Obedience says it doesn't matter if I understand. Obedience says it doesn't matter about the opinions of other people. If God says that this is what I am to do, then this is what I will do. I will follow God. True obedience is focused solely on who God is and what God has called us to do, and it ignores the opinions of other people. True obedience ignores our common sense. And listen, this is hard for me. I'm a factual, common sense, let's get the data type of a guy. But there are times when true obedience to God says it doesn't matter about any of that. It comes down. Do I trust God? Do I trust God to obey God when it doesn't make sense to obey God? Do I trust God enough to build an ark in the desert when it's never rained and it's never flood and everybody around me is laughing? True obedience to God says it doesn't matter, I will follow God. And there are going to be times in your life when you are striving to obey God that there may be some ridicule. And there may be times in your life when you're living in obedience to God that people look at you and say, that does not make sense, you're a fool, why are you doing that? And you have to simply back up and say, listen, my obedience is not based on your opinion. There's going to be times when God calls you to do something that in your own mind you're going to think, doesn't make a lot of sense. But that's when we go to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your what? Own understanding. Trust God. Obey God. This is where I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Noah's not just mentioned in the book of Genesis. He's also mentioned in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 Verse 7. In this verse, we see the fifth characteristic. Hebrews 11, verse 7. Notice what it says. This is the hall of faith. Got all these biblical characters mentioned. Here's what it says about Noah. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, what was not yet seen? The rain, the flood, never happened before. And motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Our fifth point, based on this verse, is that Noah feared God. He feared God. Look at the verse again. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark. So, if we tie this back to the previous point, Noah obeyed God. Why? Why? Why did Noah obey? Okay, look at verse 7 again, Hebrews eleven seven. 7. Why did he build an ark to deliver his family? He was motivated by what? The faith drove him, but he was motivated by a godly fear. At verse 7, it says, motivated by godly fear, built an ark to save his family. This fear is not a fear. A lot of times, the way that we use the word, as I mentioned last week, some people think God's in heaven with a baseball bat ready to hit you over the head as soon as you mess up. Which if that happened, we would all have knots on our head, wouldn't we? We all mess up. This fear is a reverence. This fear is a respect. This fear is a fear like Isaiah, we talked about it last week, who sees the seraphim crying, holy, 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 sees the holiness of God. His result of seeing the holiness of God is he sees the sinfulness of himself and he responds by saying, woe is me. Woe is me. This fear of God, this reverence of God, respect of God. When we respect and reverence God, we will be much more willing to live in obedience to God. People who do not live in obedience to God reveal that in their heart they do not truly reverence and respect God, the, the fear of God, the reverence of God, the respect of God, the, the realization of who God is drives obedience each and every time. The life that is not lived in obedience to God is a life that does not fear, reverence, and respect God. When we respect who God is, then we will also respect what he wants us to do. Our obedience to God will not happen without listening to him and without respecting him. You must fear God. So let me ask you this morning, do you reverence God? Do you fear God? Do you have the response that when you are presented with the holiness and the righteousness of God, that your response is, woe is me? And if you read the rest of Isaiah, you see Isaiah living in obedience because of this reverence, this fear for God. Number six is found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You can turn there or I'll read it to you. 2 Peter 2, verse 5, talking about, again, the life of Noah. But it says, it gives Noah a title here. It said that God protected Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness. Number six, Noah took a stand for God. Noah took a stand for God. Understand that it is possible to be obedient to God and and yet not actively point other people to God. Here's what's interesting about Noah. Were, Were people laughing at him when he was building the ark? Oh, yeah. Pointing fingers, jeering, laughing, mocking, ridiculing, saying all kinds of horrible things about him. Noah has a couple options. One, he can let that dictate him to the point where he's not going to obey. He didn't do that. He continues to obey. He continues to build the ark. But he goes beyond that. His obedience was not enough. He understood something. He understood that this boat he was building, because he believed God was the source of deliverance that God was providing. It was, in a sense, the, the way of salvation for all of those people. And Noah's mind, God is sending a flood. God is sending rain. He is going to wipe everything off the face of the earth. And the only hope that all of these people had is found in this boat. And so instead of just saying, you know what, I've got my salvation, I've got my deliverance, I've got my protection, I've got my family, I'm good. He says, no. All these people mocking me are mocking me because they don't understand that judgment is coming. All of these people who are laughing and ridiculing don't understand that a flood is coming and that this ark, this boat is their only source of deliverance. That this boat is the only source of salvation. And so he stands up in the midst of the ridicule and he says, Please turn to God. Please live for God. Give your life. Have faith in God. What I am doing, even though it doesn't make sense, is the only hope you have. And all those people continued to laugh and to mock. Then one day it started raining. The heavens opened. And the water began to rise. And the book of Genesis tells us that God closed the door on the ark. And all of these people who were around the ark, who had been laughing and ridiculing and mocking and pointing fingers, all of a sudden understood that what Noah had been preaching, proclaiming, was in fact true. But there was one problem. It was too late. See, Noah, as he's building the ark, this fear of God, this obedience to God, also led him to understand that what he is doing is, in building this ark was God's plan of salvation for the people, God's plan of deliverance. And he stands up and says, this is your only hope. And I think there are some clear parallels between the story of Noah and the story of Christ, story of salvation, because we understand that the only hope mankind has today is found in the person of Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we have salvation and we have a deliverer. But there is coming a day when Christ will come again. And those who have rejected Christ or those who die in this life, having rejected Christ for them, it will be too late because it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. See, it is not enough for you and I simply to build our boat of salvation, get our close ones around us and say, thank goodness I have my deliverance. If we're going to look at Noah and we're going to learn anything from Noah, we also have to understand that the deliverance we have is also the deliverance that is available for everyone else. And we stand and we boldly proclaim Christ is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. And there is coming a time, if you reject Christ, that you will have no more opportunity. We take a stand for God. We, we take a stand and boldly communicate Christ is the answer. He is the hope. He is the salvation. He is the deliverer. And if you reject Christ, if you stand mocking Christ and pointing at Christ and pointing at our hope, yes, you can ridicule it and you can mock it, but there will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and you will understand that Christ is Lord of all. It's not enough simply to get over here and build our ark Our salvation from the judgment. We must also, in the face of opposition, in the face of ridicule, boldly stand and tell people, please, turn to God. Please, get on the boat. Please, pursue this deliverance. Pursue this salvation. This is your only hope. And in the midst of doing that, understand there will be people laughing and people ridiculing, people pointing their finger at you, and people... All kinds of things will be said, but in the midst of it, you stand and you say, this is the only hope, and I am unashamed. I am unashamed. He took a stand for God. Final truth this morning is this, number seven. He worshiped God. Noah worshiped God. I I would encourage you sometime to go back and read the end of the story in Genesis chapter eight, but you, you know what happens. The rains come, the floods God wipes everything off the face of the earth except those contained on the ark. And the day comes when the waters begin to go down and Noah sends out what? The dove, the sea, and remember finally the dove comes back with a little twig branch showing that life is coming back. I want you to picture what happens here. Noah and his family come off the ark and they're standing and part of their mind they're looking back at the greatest devastation the world has ever known other than him and his family every, and the animals on the ark everything has been completely destroyed the worst devastation the world would ever see has just taken place and on the other hand everything again is coming back to life in purity life is rejuvenated Everything is once again clean. The wickedness has been erased. And in that moment between this devastation and this life, Noah builds an altar. And on this altar that he builds, coming off the ark, it's the first thing he does. He builds this altar. And God makes a covenant with Noah and seals it with what in the sky? You remember? A rainbow in the sky. And Noah builds this altar. Why? There's two things involved with this. And both of these are crucial for you and I to truly worship. On one hand, this altar that is being built is looking back at the devastation that is taking place and saying, God, thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your salvation. But on the other hand, it is saying, God, you've made everything new, and I commit my life to living for you. And this passage in Genesis chapter 8 actually says that the sacrifice, the smoke that goes up as in, into the nostrils of God is received by God as a sweet smell You know what's happening? Worship. Worship always requires an altar of sacrifice. Worship always requires an altar of sacrifice where you come to the altar and you look back and you understand that without the deliverance of God and without the provision of God and without the salvation of God, there is no hope. And so you come to this altar and you say, God, thank you thank you for Christ but at the exact same moment you understand what God has delivered you for and you commit your life to living for him and worshiping him and uh, th- serving him and doing what he's wanted you to do listen you cannot worship God if you fail to thank God for what he has done and at the exact same time you fail to commit to live for him worship is more than singing a song worship is more than reading a verse worship is more than listening to a message worship requires this altar of sacrifice where we come and we say God thank you for what you have done and in the exact same breath we say God my life is yours it's yours it's yours God, I commit my life to you. And listen, it is possible to come every single week and sit through a worship service and sing the songs and read the verses and say a prayer. But never thank God for what he has done and never commit our life to him. And I would say, if you come and you fail to thank God for what he has done and you fail to commit your life to him at this altar of sacrifice, then you have failed to worship. Noah could have come bouncing off the ark and went on with his life. But the very first thing he did is builds an altar and says, I must worship God. The good news this morning is even if you've come through this service so far this morning and so far you failed to worship, in the last few minutes of our service you can worship this morning by saying, God, thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for all that you have done for me. And in the next breath you say, God, I commit my life to you. It is yours. I will live for you. See, this is what made Noah different. This is what made Noah stand out from the crowd around him. This is what made Noah unique. So let me ask you if you are here this morning and you desire your life to make a difference, then here's some questions Are you committed to being righteous? Are you committed to being blameless? I'm going to skip the third one. I'll come back to it. Are you committed to obeying God? Are you committed to fearing God? Are you committed to taking a stand for God? Are you committed to truly worshiping God? But in the center of all that's this pin that holds it all together. Are you committed to walking with God? It doesn't matter what you say about any of those other things. If you're not committed to walking with God, then none of those other things will become a reality in your life. See, here's what I believe. God saved each and every one of you. If you're a believer, God saved you for a very specific purpose. And God has this church here for a very specific purpose. And that purpose is not centered on us but it is centered on the mission that God has given us. And in order for the church and our families to have the impact that God has designed us to have, we got to pursue these characteristics that we see in the life of Noah. But it is all built on this one, this one little pin, this one little piece of walking with God, you've got to walk with God. You've got to have this moment where you build this altar of sacrifice and you say, God, thank you for all you have done. God, I commit my life to you. I want to walk with you daily. God, use me as only you can use me. And when the church is filled with people like that and when the church is led with people like that, when that—that's the mind, when our families are led in that way, God uses us as only he can, but you've got to be willing to walk with God and you've got to say, like, no, I will be righteous and blameless and obedient. So here's what I want us to do this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to have you stand. We're not going to sing. I'll have Mary come in just a moment, just play quietly on the piano. But listen, here's what we need to do. Maybe some of us this morning, it's been a long time since we've worshiped. Maybe some of us here this morning that it's been a long time since we've been to the altar of sacrifice. It's been a long time since we've said, God, thank you. It's been a long time maybe since we've said, God, I commit my life to you. And the best thing that could happen in this church or in any church, the best thing that can happen in any life, the best thing that can happen is in, in any family is for those individuals to have this altar and say, God, I will walk with you. And if that's been missing from your life, I invite you to worship this morning at the altar of sacrifice. Will you stand with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And I think maybe this morning, God's speaking to some hearts, speaking to some lives. And you need to respond as only God is leading you. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. And God, as I've often said, I pray that we would not simply come and be challenged, but that you would do a work in our hearts and our lives where we truly leave changed. God, you have redeemed us for a reason. You have purchased us for a purpose. And God, in order for us to fulfill the calling on our lives, we must come to the altar of sacrifice the altar of worship, and say, God, I will pursue you. Thank you for all that you have done. I commit my life to you, God. I want to walk with you. I pray that that would be the decision made in many hearts and many lives that need to make that this morning. God, I pray that it would be true in my heart and in my life. Forgive me, but I pray that we would come to the altar of sacrifice. If you will, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. The altar is open. The invitation is open. If God is speaking to you, let me encourage you to respond. I know you can pray where you are, but there's something about walking an aisle and kneeling at the front that solidifies the decisions that you make. So if God's speaking to you, let me encourage you to respond just in the next couple of minutes of quiet. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for our time together this, moment, this morning, and I pray that you would help us all to strive to live lives that are pleasing to you. Help us to daily come to this altar, to daily take up our cross and follow you as Luke nine twenty three says, that we would purpose in our hearts to live the life that you have called us to live, and God, that you would use us as only you can. God, we thank you for your word that guides, and I pray you'd help us to leave change this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here this morning. Let me remind you that we do have our Bible study this evening at 5, and so I encourage you to be back for that. Those of you who are not able to be back this evening, I want you to know that we love you, we appreciate you, and thank you so much for your kindness to me and my family. Have a great afternoon.